Welcome to the Maps Canada podcast. I'm your host, Siddharth Rankarua, and I'm excited to share with you today the first episode in what will be a series of stories and discussions on psychedelics in Canada. With the help of other voices from the Maps Canada team, we've made this podcast to be your guide to the world of psychedelics and to help you navigate their role in our culture. In each episode, we'll be diving deep into key topics surrounding the use of psychedelics and the implications of introducing them into mainstream medicine. To do this, we'll bring on world-leading scientists in psychedelics research, delivering their expert opinions on the benefits of psychedelics and discussing all the ways psychedelic use can go wrong. But before I go into more about the podcast, I'd like to start by telling you a bit about MAPS Canada. First off, we're a non-profit organization and a leading resource in the field of psychedelic medicine and research. We partner with the government, businesses, and the community to educate the public on psychedelics. We also facilitate the training of psychedelic therapists. Now, why is this important? Well, because there's still a lot of stigma and misinformation spread about psychedelics and the harm that they could cause. Most of it is simply not true. By properly informing the public and providing training for therapists on how to incorporate and use psychedelics in their own practice, we hope to bring psychedelics back to the table and offer the public a new alternative when making choices around their own health and well-being. Beyond public education and training therapists, we are committed to planning, conducting, and publishing scientific research that supports the benefits of psychedelics used as medicines in neuroscience, creativity, and spirituality. MAPS Canada officially began in 2011 to support our partners at MAPS USA with an MDMA study they were running at the time. Our vision is for Canadians to have safe and legal access to psychedelic medicines. We value full transparency, which we hope to demonstrate through this podcast as we continue to build a diverse community around trust, inclusivity, and a shared love of psychedelics. Achieving this vision relies on providing real and honest information on the latest developments in psychedelic research. As I've said, much of this podcast will highlight influential scientists, historians, and other eminent researchers who are on the front lines of the psychedelics renaissance. Our show will also explore some of the most central discussions and debates in the psychedelics literature. For instance, we'll offer an in-depth analysis on the role of psychedelics in mental health treatment as well as end-of-life care, evaluate their role in spirituality and religion, debunk common myths surrounding psychedelics, teach you how to understand clinical trials, explain the neuroscience of psychedelics, and we'll explore many other fascinating topics. At times, we'll approach psychedelics through a historical lens. Our first few episodes will dive into the history of psychedelics in Canada, recalling their rise in psychiatric medicine, which once had promising results, and- Whoa, wait, wait. Did you say they were using psychiatry? Yep, that's right. You heard me. Psychedelics were once being explored as medicines in psychiatry for treating a variety of mental health disorders, such as PTSD, addiction, even schizophrenia. As we look back on this history, we can draw many parallels between the psychedelics renaissance today and how they were initially being researched for healthcare in the 20th century. More importantly, by being explicit about Canada's dark history with psychedelics, much of which will probably shock you, we hope to give you a truly honest account of both their merits and dangers, so that you can make an informed decision on how they might benefit you. But enough about the formalities. Here's a fun little anecdote to kick off the show. 
You probably already know that many psychedelics are naturally occurring compounds that can be found in a variety of natural environments. However, LSD, commonly referred to as acid, was actually synthesized in a lab. LSD stands for Lysergic Acid Diethylamide. It was created by chemist Albert Hoffman in 1938 while working for a pharmaceutical company in Basel, Switzerland. Hoffman was working with ergot, a fungus which often grows on rye grains. At the time, he was attempting to develop a compound useful for treating respiratory and circulatory conditions. Little did he know that he would end up creating a drug that would forever change psychiatry and become what is perhaps the most notorious psychedelic in popular culture. We often hear stories of scientists first testing their experiments on themselves. Hoffman was no exception. Only, he waited five years before he tried his own psychedelic creation, since no notable effects were observed during initial animal testing. On April 16, 1943, Hoffman had accidentally spilled some LSD on his hands. It got soaked into his fingers, and he ended up experiencing some minor effects. Three days later, Hoffman took some of his synthesized LSD deliberately, not fully prepared for what was about to happen to him. As the 250 micrograms of LSD began to take effect, Hoffman realized that, although he had started with what should have been a very small dose for any pharmaceutical study thus far, the mounting effects of his compound were going to be much stronger than he was prepared for. I became anxious and I uh, uh, asked my laboratory assistant to uh, accompany me home. And then we uh, went home by bicycle because it was wartime and, and uh, of course I had no, no car. And I, I reported about this bicycle ride because I had the feeling that the time would stand still. It was a very strange feeling I never had before. This change in the experience of time. After completing what must have been a thrilling six-kilometer ride through the Swiss countryside to his home in a nearby village, they called on his doctor for a house visit. After being reassured by his doctor that there was nothing medically wrong with him and that he was not clinically insane, Hoffman sat back and began to experience the truly wondrous effects of LSD. This historic day, April 19th, is very famously known as Bicycle Day in the psychedelic community. And what better way to celebrate Bicycle Day than with our first official episode of the MAPS Canada podcast. The importance of this day is that it was the first time one had experienced the real power of LSD and its ability to shift one's state of consciousness. This discovery had major potential for the field of psychiatry. Later on, we'll see some of the transformative effects of LSD and other psychedelics for managing PTSD in World War II veterans, as well as treating alcoholism. Between the 50s and 70s, there was a proliferation of exciting research, exploring the benefits that psychedelics might have in mental health care. Unfortunately, things came to a premature ending, with the rise of America's counterculture movement in the mid-60s and 70s after Timothy Leary urged Americans to turn on, tune in, and drop out. These famous words were a call for people to embrace cultural change through the use of psychedelics, 
by turning away from existing conventions and challenging the dominant hierarchies that governed Western society. The government, being directly threatened by such revolutionary ideas, responded by fear-mongering and the spread of false propaganda, which eventually led to the criminalization of all psychedelics. In a 1994 interview, Albert Hoffman himself noted that our failure to successfully integrate psychedelics into our society between the 50s and 60s was in large part due to the fact that people did not treat them with the respect or intention they deserved. So many people were not conscious enough. They did not, uh, they did not respect the deep effects which the Indians have. The Indians believe that you should take the mushrooms only if you are prepared uh, by, uh, by praying and by fastening and so on. And then only the mushrooms bring you in contact with the gods. If you are not prepared, then uh, it, it makes you uh, crazy or, or you may even die. That is the belief of the Indians, based on thousands of years of experience. And what happened with the white man, he brings it on the street without preparation. And that was, that was the tragedy. If it had been used uh, carefully, then never we had had this scandal, and never LSD would have been withdrawn also from uh, the use in, in, in the medical field. But what actually is a psychedelic? Are they really as dangerous as history and the law would have us think? Well, let's change gears for a moment and talk a little bit about the origins of the word psychedelic. Before we use this word, there was no actual term that encompassed all the drugs we know today as psychedelics. For instance, many mind-altering plants were known simply by their given name. Peyote, ayahuasca, iboga, ololiuki, and cattle, Literally flesh of the gods, as the Aztecs referred to Psilocybe Mexicana. Hoffman and his team ended up being instrumental in isolating, identifying, and subsequently deriving the psychoactive compounds in a number of these entheogenic plants. That means that LSD belongs pharmacologically, chemically, to the group of the sacred magic plants of Mexico. That's a very important finding. As the story goes, the term psychedelic was coined by Dr. Humphrey Osmond, a UK-born psychiatrist, in a letter exchange between him and the famous English author Aldous Huxley, known for his popular works, Brave New World and The Doors to Perception. Humphrey Osmond was a leader and pioneer of LSD research programs in Saskatchewan. In March of 1953, Huxley had heard about the success of Osmond's LSD experiments and wrote to Osmond personally as he grew curious about the use of psychedelics. Two months later, Osmond traveled to Los Angeles with mescaline, the psychoactive ingredient in the peyote plant, and met Huxley and his wife. Huxley's experience of mescaline inspired him to write his book, The Doors of Perception, which was published the following year. This seminal moment in Huxley's life sparked a decades-long friendship between him and Osmond. It was in a letter written by Osmond to Huxley in 1956, where Osmond referred to mescaline as mind-manifesting, derived from the Greek psyche, meaning soul, and delun, meaning to reveal or to make visible. In other words, psychedelics could reveal the mind or make it visible to anyone under their effects. 
to fall in hell or, or so angelic you'll need a pinch of psychedelic. At least that's how I recall it. And it, it, I'm not sure it was necessarily that, but that was certainly the gist of it. Of course, neither Osmond, Huxley, or even Hoffman were the first to experience the mind-revealing nature of psychedelics. Psychedelics have a long history of being used for spiritual means in various cultures and indigenous traditions for thousands of years all around the world. It may surprise you to know that there's compelling speculation that psychedelic plants played a rather large role in the beginning of some, if not most, modern-day religions. For example, over 100 of the 1200 Rig Vedas, which are a collection of sacred Hindu texts, are dedicated to the mythical psychoactive beverage Soma, which was thought to be the drink taken by gods, and one that could even turn mortals into gods. Soma delivered divine visions. There is an account from the Rig Vedas which says, We have drunk the Soma. We have become immortal. We have gone to the light. We have found the gods. Remember when I said Hoffman synthesized LSD by messing around with ergot? Well, long before this, in ancient Greece, there was a practice of worshipping the goddess Demeter by consuming a drink from the paspali grass, which had inadvertently been impregnated with ergot, allowing those who took it to see and communicate with Demeter herself. Some scholars have even suggested that the apple, consumed by Adam and Eve, which allowed them to open their eyes and see the world as it truly appears, was in fact referring to the Stephania cubensis mushroom, which still grows in abundance today at the base of trees in regions of the Middle East, thought to be the historical site of the Garden of Eden. There's even speculation that the story of Santa Claus originated from shamans who were part of the Sami indigenous people in northern Finland, who would dress in red and white, visit families, and deliver the insights from the hallucinogenic mushroom Amanita muscaria. When families were snowed in, these shamans would enter through the chimneys. Their method of transportation? Reindeer-driven sleighs. Today, there has been a resurgence of psychedelics in popular culture, largely owing to the renewed interest of researchers in neuroscience, psychotherapy, and even in religious officials for sacred and spiritual use. Maybe you know someone who went for an ayahuasca retreat in South America. Maybe you've tried MDMA at a party with a friend. Or maybe you've even heard about the outstanding work at Johns Hopkins University on psilocybin treating anxiety and depression in terminal cancer patients. We're living in the midst of a new revolution for psychedelics in science and medicine. So why now? How do psychedelics work and what do they do? When scientists and media outlets talk about psychedelics, they're oftentimes referring to the classic examples, which includes LSD, mescaline, psilocybin, and DMT. These are also referred to as serotonergic agonists by most researchers and scientists. This simply means that they are drugs that bind to specific regions on brain cells, or neurons, called serotonin receptors. When you ingest a classical psychedelic, it binds to serotonin receptors and mimics the effects of serotonin. Serotonin is a molecule that acts as a chemical messenger in your brain. It is involved in stabilizing your moods, feelings, and it even plays important roles in learning and memory. The main type of receptor that psychedelics bind to are called 5-HT2A receptors. Once bound to these receptors, a psychedelic can induce a cascade of effects in the brain, 
which often result in one experiencing intense visuals, extreme emotions, as well as undergoing a variety of cognitive shifts. MDMA, which is not considered a true classical psychedelic, is more akin to a stimulant with hallucinogenic effects, targeting a variety of serotonin receptors. You may be wondering, what does this have anything to do with mental health care? Why would anyone be interested in ego dissolution? Well, the truth is, we still don't know a lot about psychedelics and how they work. Discovering these mechanisms are some of the first priorities for researchers in this field. Despite this gap, however, there is an increasing wealth of research into the potential for psychedelics in treating a variety of mental health disorders, such as addiction, PTSD, anxiety, depression, and others, all with very promising results. For instance, it was found that psilocybin, combined with cognitive behavioral therapy, had led to complete smoking cessation in 10 out of 15 long-term tobacco smokers for up to 12 months. 13 participants had rated their experiences with psilocybin as being among the five most personally meaningful and spiritually significant experiences in their lifetime. The same research group at Johns Hopkins looked at the potential for psilocybin in treating anxiety and depression in end-of-life cancer patients. 92% of participants experienced clinically significant outcomes after a single session, reporting an overall reduced level of anxiety and depression. Each individual underwent an additional psilocybin session after five weeks, and roughly 80% of all participants continued to experience the same clinically significant effects at a six-month follow-up. We are still figuring out why psilocybin and other psychedelics have the profound effects they do. One thing we do know, however, is the relative safety of administering psychedelics in therapeutic settings. Most psychedelic compounds report little to no physiological toxicity at all. There is no known lethal dose for drugs like psilocybin or LSD. The same drugs also don't seem to exhibit any potential for abuse, as they are not found to be addictive at any quantity. This is fairly surprising when we consider that psychedelics are still classified as Schedule Three illegal substances in Canada, described as having potential for abuse due to their inherent pharmacological or chemical properties. Given their safety and the unprecedented results we're seeing in clinical studies, psychedelics are making another comeback, despite their legal status. Their return to the limelight is intimately connected with perhaps the most pressing issues our society is currently facing. The rise of mental health concerns exacerbated by the COVID-19 pandemic, the failing of conventional medicine and mental health treatment, the felt disconnection and violence between social groups, and the felt separation from our natural environment, along with all the ecological concerns that come from our being alienated from nature. In the wake of these issues, psychedelics have risen as promising interventions, targeting these problems where they affect us at our deepest level, as people and as a society. By shifting our perspectives as individuals and allowing us to realize how deeply interconnected we all are, psychedelics may be instrumental in raising awareness to our ethical obligations towards one another and renewing our relationship with the natural world. It is not a coincidence that in these increasingly uncertain and seemingly divided times that psychedelics are back on our radar. Now, all of this sounds well and great, but how should you decide if psychedelics are right for you? Well, 
We want to be clear that MAPS Canada does not endorse the use of psychedelics in recreational settings. Not only do we recognize their current legal status, but we view them first and foremost as medicines that should be used in the appropriate context by responsible people. We will never suggest that you, the listener, should take psychedelics without care and supervision. Despite their incredibly safe pharmacological profile, psychedelics can be incredibly dangerous in recreational and uncontrolled settings and need to be treated with respect. It is worth remembering that the promise of these drugs lies in them being used as medicines in therapeutic contexts, where participants have been rigorously screened, and where therapists are present with the appropriate measures and safety protocols put in place. Psychedelics, like all medicines, are to be respected and used safely. Playing with your psychology is no simple thing, and the excitement to expand your mind can sometimes lead to disastrous even destructive consequences. The terrain here can be very difficult to navigate. It's riddled with many decades worth of misinformation and propaganda. But that is a challenge that we, as public informers, are happy to take. Our job on this show is to highlight the many benefits that psychedelics may offer, while grappling with the reality of their dangers and potential harms. We appreciate good-faith discussions, and we applaud those who are concerned or even skeptical about whether psychedelics can be safely integrated in our culture. By engaging with our toughest and well-intentioned critics, we hope to deliver a thoughtful and honest view of psychedelics, so that you are properly informed in your own decisions should they ever become a part of your life. This podcast will equip you with everything you need to know to make sense of why psychedelics are making a comeback and why we might feel optimistic for them as tools in our pursuit of a more holistic healthcare system. MAPS Canada envisions a nearby future where Canadians will have safe and legal access to psychedelic medicines in a way that prioritizes the well-being of individuals and their communities. This podcast is one step forward towards actualizing that vision. We hope that we can bring you along with us on that journey. This episode was written and edited by myself, Chapreet Matu, Monica Lau, and Brendan Campbell. Original music and audio engineering done by Andrew Illman. I'm Siddharth Rankadua, and thanks for listening. For our next episode, we plan to give you a glimpse into the kind of psychedelic research going on today. We'll be joining you again on Monday, May 17th, with psychedelic researcher Dr. Baraj Segeti from the Imperial College London. Barrage and I will discuss his recent, first-of-its-kind research on studying the placebo effects in psychedelic microdosing.